success, we're not all starting from the same place. Level the Pursuit seeks to fill in the gaps and provide accessible, bite-sized leadership lessons for anyone looking to improve their skills and prepare for the next step, whatever that might be. Welcome back, my friends. Had to take a week off, but I know you forgive me. Today, we are joined by Lieutenant Colonel Kelly Imey, who is an Intel Squadron Commander, which is pretty freaking awesome, but she's also a mental health nurse with a ton of experience in dealing with trauma, both in the military and outside. And she has had just amazing perspective on how we can get through this pandemic in a way that's productive and helpful for all of us. So today we're gonna to talk a little bit about that and see what we can do to make life better for everyone. So Kelly, thank you so much for being here today. It's such a pleasure and I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm excited too. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. So what have you been up to? Um, digging into commands more. Um, you know, when I, you and I last talked, uh, I was only maybe four months in. So now it's been a couple more months removed and I feel like I'm in my groove as far as understanding at least the command piece in my squadron, which is kind of scary but at the same time, really exciting. So now I can dig into some more operational and tactical things um, because it's not a mission that I was familiar with prior. So that's really exciting. I've got some, got a new captain that I just met today and he's gung ho and very excited about our unit. So just some really great things are happening and we're getting ready to go into the summer, get some overseas travel in, finally getting back to somewhat normal, I guess. Um, yeah. So that's, that's really exciting from the operational side. Mm -hmm. um, but you mentioned things starting to open up and kind mm -hmm. of potentially traveling. Mm -hmm. And so in your other life, taking care of mental health issues. Yes. What have you seen? Like how, how is this change or potential change that the, we see it on the horizon change? How are you seeing that affect how people are approaching this with their mental health? So it's kind of nice. I've noticed that we're coming into summer when more people are outside generally anyway. And I have this general sense, at least in our unit, of people feeling uplifted. We can get outside, we can run outside. Our base and our state just made, the, made it okay to be outside without a mask, whether you're vaccinated or not. So that makes it easier for people who are exercising and they don't have to feel... Um, you know, like they're suffocating, breathing heavy, running. So that one piece of it, the fitness piece, the outside piece, people just feel a bit uplifted. I've noticed in inside that even though we're still wearing masks inside, we're still being careful. There's COVID fatigue. I would say half of our base is vaccinated. So just that statistic alone and summer, it, it almost feels like the, the elephant, people are pushing the elephant out of the middle of the table. Like, okay, like you go sit at that end of the table. <laughs> we know you're here, but you don't have to be in the center all the time where we're trying to talk around you. Um, that's a good metaphor for the, the sense that it feels like. It's like the, the elephant's in the room, 
we all know it's there, but it's not taking center stage anymore. It doesn't, it's not all consuming everything that we're trying to do in operations. It's not all consuming when we're thinking about TDY. And so that's kind of nice. It's more of a, hey, do we have COVID restrictions? Yes, no, all right, let's move on. Or do we have to consider COVID in this instance? Yes, no, let's move on versus that being the first thing that we have to talk about. So honestly, it's a sense of relief for a lot of people. Um, and then on the flip side, there is a smaller percentage. Again, military, we're a healthy population. There, there is a smaller percentage that have maybe special needs family members um, or their own health where there's a little bit of fear still lingering because, hey, not everyone's vaccinated. The new variants are quite virulent and that's scary. India is a hot mess right now. As an example, so can it, can everyone help us out? Cause we're kind of scared. So I haven't seen anyone in our work center being negative to those folks, you know, or, or like making fun of them or, or anything like that. And I'm very glad because I, I have seen that in larger society, you know, oh, fear mongers or whatever the case may be. It's like, no, there, are, there still are some people out there who are definitely at risk and who definitely needs to be careful and let's just be respectful. So that's generally what I felt. So you bring up a really good point uh, that we actually were talking about last night. So we went out to dinner and, um, you know, my husband uh, with his restrictions and, and currently the military restrictions in general, we still wear masks outdoors, even though we're both fully vaccinated or not outdoors, but um, in businesses. Mm -hmm. And so we went to go to eat dinner last night and we had already talked we always talk about it so are we going to eat there are we going to see what the situation is are we going to take the food to go and we always have a plan so we went to a restaurant last night with our soon-to-be 12 year old and we went in masked and to see the, the availability the inside was packed not a mask inside no one wearing a mask inside was packed and so we asked kind of what the weight was for outdoors and that kind of stuff. And it sounded like it was going to be prohibitive. So we're like, we'd already talked about it. We'll just get food to go. No big deal. So we ordered our food and we went back outside and we took our masks off because we were outdoors and we were away from people. And that's, and we got quite a bit of looks, you know, from people. No one actually was hostile, but, but people definitely made a point of looking at us and letting us know that they saw us. Mm -hmm. And our 12 year old was like, why? isn't COVID still happening? And I said, yeah, it is. Well, how come no one's wearing a mask? And we said, well, the state, the governor has decided to take away the rule that, you know, the mask mandate, the rule that people have to wear masks and people are tired of wearing masks. And he said, well, but if we just wait a little bit longer, wouldn't that be better? <laughs> like, out of yes. the mouth of the yes. <laughs> Yes. And he's like, well, how come people can't just be patient and be nice to one another? <laughs> like, I don't yes, have why? a good answer. For that. <laughs> yes, I would love to know that. That would be great. And so we're explaining, you know, we actually got into a discussion of the partisanship of, of mask wear and, and all of those things. And because and my, in my travels, um, driving back and forth, I've seen a very evident divide in who wears masks and who doesn't. And it appears based on bumper stickers and, you know, all of those other kind of intangibles that may be judgmental, you know, but, right. but snapshot appear to be based on party lines. And, yeah. 
so it was hard to say. And so when I think about people like that, you know, my brother is, is now vaccinated, but he is a lifetime asthmatic. He was very stressed. He hadn't, he hadn't been in a grocery store in a year and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. He, I mean, he was very, he was very aware of his risk. Um, no, but so I think about those people that we, that we know in our lives that are still at risk and then seeing this overwhelming relief, the throwing off of the mask, the freedom, the parties and, mm-hmm. and the terror that some of them must be feeling and the feeling for people that have lost someone to COVID, yeah. how pointless it must feel at times when suddenly everything is back to normal, but, but it's not yet. So have you seen, what, what have you seen of that? So I have seen some of that. And actually there's a joke that some of us have started um, because I do see that divide a little bit on our installation, you know, certain areas, there's just no COVID there. <laughs> like they're, that, that's the joke. I'm like, oh, they don't have COVID downstairs, you know, or, or COVID doesn't exist insert unit because of, you know, different philosophies or beliefs about things. Um, and, you know, our, our leadership just goes back to, we still have rules. We still need to abide by the rules and be smart about it and take care of each other because the bottom line is taking care of each other. So I appreciate that that message that I send is supported by my direct leadership, but there's definitely other areas where COVID doesn't exist here. Like, well, thank goodness that you are all healthy and can be as nonchalant with other people's health as, as you are. Um, but I haven't seen huge outpourings of any kind of emotion on either side. And, and it could just be being in the middle of the country. There hasn't been as many cases and the cases are continuing to go down here and they're actually turning away vaccine either because we have enough people vaccinated or people are just not wanting to take the vaccine. And I think that's a bigger concern is the vaccine hesitancy than people throwing off the masks necessarily because we can't have herd immunity until we get to a certain percentage. And if people are just, well, I don't need the vaccine. There's enough people now. It's like, no, we're only at like 40% dudes. We we got a lot more, (laughs) got a ways to go. For sure. So from a mental health standpoint, like what have you seen? Was, was COVID, you know, we've heard anecdotal evidence of more depression, more substance abuse, weight, weight gain, suicidality. Um, Recently have been hearing some stuff about some body dysmorphia from staring at yourself on zoom all day and being able to examine yourself closely uh, that most of us don't get to see ourselves all day long. So what have you seen from a mental health standpoint? Is it, has it been, are these things really as, as notable as they sound or are they just, you know, case reports that people are sharing? No, that does seem to be where, uh, what you stated is what seems to be where the evidence is pointing is that uh, the isolation because there are still areas of the country that have not opened up. There are still bases and units where people are still teleworking and they have not left their their homes. Uh, a friend of mine in Colorado, she's active out there. She's been home this whole time. She has not left her home in over a year with her two little girls and her husband, who's a contractor, who's been out of work. And she says, I'm losing my mind. And I get it. 
I, I would be too, if I didn't have the ability to go out and do something. And she lives in Colorado. It's beautiful. You should be outside. So it's not just anecdotal that the increased isolation or even just being alone with the same group of people is heightening depressive symptoms, heightening anxiety symptoms, whether it's manifesting in full-blown depressive disorder or anxiety disorder. I think that has yet to be determined, yet to be seen, but definitely the symptomology has increased and especially in teenagers, uh, teenagers and special needs kids. I want to say that it was maybe June May, June of last year, where I started seeing some of the first conversations about special needs kids, uh, kids on the autism spectrum, because their schedules were off. Their schedules required school. Now they don't have school. They don't have therapies. They don't have all of those other supports in place. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And how long is this going to last? So that population, the already mentally, I don't want to say unstable. That's, that's not the right, that does a disservice. Um, maybe those in a more fragile or at risk area for mental health or behavioral health issues were put askew right away. You know, April, May of last year. And I noticed it with my boys as well. The minute school stopped, it was chaos at home. And yeah, the drinking went up a lot <laughs> in myself. Um, there wasn't much else to do and the kids are home all day and it's super annoying. You're not driving anywhere. You're not going, you have, no, yeah, nope. absolutely. Nope. Nothing, no restrictions. And I got a wine cellar. So my husband's <laughs> deployed, you know, three beers on Sunday might as well. Uh, so take my little microcosm and then manifest it worldwide. And there are individuals who are, have kids that are much worse off on the spectrum and have less coping skills, less supports than I even I do, that I can only imagine how terrible and terrifying the, this whole year has been. So it has not, it's not been easy. And we were just talking the other day, a few of us. Um, so that, that's just the folks that have homes and we've right. been now, with uh, that. Food, food insecurity, homelessness. Now we're talking about the homelessness because yeah. all of the shelters have shut down and all the clinics are shut down and any other safety measure that there were for the homeless and a large proportion of them suffer from some kind of mental illness or addiction. Now they have nothing. Mm -hmm. And the rate of death in homelessness has actually skyrocketed anywhere from double to quadruple the rates of normal deaths um, in this last year. And that's a more recent thing I was reading the other day. Um, and I hate that people get callous about that. What's one less homeless person, which is terrible to me because that's a human being. Mm -hmm. That's a human being who one year ago may have been doing completely fine and maybe on the verge of getting into a house in a job and then COVID hit and all of that spiraled. And now that person's no longer here on this planet. Mm -hmm. Th that's, there's, there's no reason to be flippant about life. And so I, I appreciate that I have individuals that I work with um, who have enough respect for life that we can talk about these things with the gravity they deserve but I don't know that that is writ large. So while there's all this relief 
um, generally by people who haven't been affected by COVID, sort of being stuck at home and wearing a mask. Um, I wish there was more, maybe a little more respect. Sure. For, for those who have lost or those who've been affected. You used a word that I think is really underappreciated. And I think it speaks to the ignorance of kind of people at large. And when I say ignorance, that's not an insult. It's a lack right. of information, yep. but fragility. So we were driving last night and we saw a large business, you know, what you would think was a very well, uh, well-supported business that was shut down. Hotel, restaurants, all together shut down. And, uh, and my husband pointed out and I was like, that's really sad. And we were talking about it. And I just think as you, as you're talking, I think how many people, I mean, that's a business, you know, a multi-million dollar business, I'm sure that shut down completely because of COVID and, and, and who knows what state the owners are in. Maybe they were totally resilient and it's not a big deal, but how many businesses shut down over the last year? How many businesses had to downsize such that all of their personnel lost their jobs or many of them? And so I think that it, that fragility, I think you don't understand how fragile so many people's lifestyles were mm-hmm. until it touches your life. Um, and I, and I was so grateful because I lived a lifestyle like, you know, I waited tables through college and, and, and put myself through, you know, I supported myself through doing stuff like that, where I was literally paycheck to paycheck and, you yeah. know, not sure, not sure where my food was going to come yeah. from. And, and, you know, I, I literally only ate at work because I got free food at work. Mm-hmm. So on days that I worked, I did not eat because I was going to get free food. And, and, and I, that was a small portion of my life. I'm not saying that I in any way can understand what it's like for people that have raised children like this or live like this their right. entire life. I'm not saying that, but I know what it's like to know, to be one paycheck away from being yeah. homeless, you know, getting, getting a notification telling you you're not, you're going to get kicked mm-hmm. out. And I think about a whole year, a whole year, year and a half. So I just, I, I wonder how, how we're going to recover as a country when we have so many people that are going to be traumas that are traumatized by this year, not just the illness piece. The illness piece has been huge, but everything about their life is turned upside down. Right. The secondary trauma that comes with all of the insecurity that was subsequent to. And I think this probably won't come out for another year, maybe two years post. Similar to, to 9-11, we didn't realize the psychological impact until a number of years later. It, within the country as a whole, not just the people who, who lost somebody or you know, might have been in an airplane or, or something like that. Um, that, I mean, we generally know when it, when it comes to executive functioning that you know, too much cortisol in the brain, cortisol wash, prolonged stress response, stress response in the prefrontal cortex causes damage. It can cause short-term and long-term damage. It inhibits executive functioning. It impairs decision-making, emotional regulation, all of those things. So of course this year has been nutty enough without adding, you know, brain damage. So (laughs) environmentally caused brain damage to it. Uh, and, and really it is. And, and I would like to hear writ large people talking about the brain in ways that maybe are a little more extreme 
to get the point across that when we talk about liver damage related to alcohol, we say damage because it's a word that gives gravity to, hey, you, you could, this could kill you. But, oh, you have stress. You have stress. I was thinking the same thing. We just stress. Stress. No. Prolonged stress is, you know, there are neurotransmitters that impact your ability to connect and make and function and have conversation and find words and lay down long-term and short-term memory. It is damage to the brain. And I, I don't think we're going to fully see the impact of COVID from a psychological, from a brain health perspective for another year, maybe two years as people start to come out of this. And then there's people who aren't going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. There's people who similar to maybe a, a PTSD scenario. And I wouldn't be surprised if we do get maybe a, a COVID related traumatic stress disorder or, or something along the lines of like group trauma, environmental trauma, something like that. Um, I'm sure the APA is you know, <laughs> madly trying to figure out what applies. Um, some kind of related disorder, similar to long-term COVID um, on the lungs and heart, but on the brain as well. And I think even those who have COVID, I, I want to say that I've read in a few studies that there's even some brain impacts uh, long-term brain impacts with people who have had COVID, some of the rougher versions on short-term memory, on decision-making and even mood regulation. So I'm sure more will come about that as well. Yeah, I've seen the same. And I think I think you're right. For, so speaking about COVID specifically, I think we are a couple of years from completely understanding that as well, just because I, I think that this virus got a little bit more scrutiny and it's getting a little bit more scientific rigor. People are getting MRIs and CTs mm-hmm. and things like that. So we're going to get more information now. That being said, it's hard to compare it to previous viruses as being worse or better because we didn't MRI the brains of everyone who got the flu or H1N1 or, you know, so, so it's a different data set, but I think we are seeing that it affects a lot more, especially a systemic inflammatory response. You mentioned cortisol, but also just that systemic inflammatory response, which we're seeing is worse in kids when the kids have the bad outcomes, it's, it's more of that. So I think you're right. I think from a COVID per se, I think we're going to we're a few years from completely understanding its impact and how many are temporary. Obviously, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that happens to the brain is not temporary. Once you've damaged it, the brain has you know, limited regenerative capacity. So I'm interested to see that and what holistic remedies like, you know, from the prolonged cortisol, meditation's been shown to actually yes. have some positive. Imp- so I'm, I'm curious to see what we can do with, with uh, a mentality that's open to holistic remedies and is open to kind of mindfulness and all those things. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking exactly the same thing you said when you mentioned the kind of COVID related stress disorder or something like that. Cause yeah. I think that it's one thing to a global pandemic is scary. It is scary to not be sure, but a year and a half of uncertainty mm-hmm. is just, I, it's by no means the caliber of what people in war-torn nations have gone through. You know, you know, there are people that in Bosnia and there's, there are places where people grew up with constant fear of being mortared or murdered or pulled out of their homes. It's not comparable to that, in my opinion. But it is a state of constant uncertainty and constant fear and fear for your life. So I, I'm very interested to see how it impacts and, and fear and trauma are relative, right? So if this is the worst thing you've ever had in your life, it you your brain may have the same 
impacts as someone who lived in war-torn Bosnia, you know, because because it's the worst thing your brain has ever encountered. So I I think it's a fascinating area of study. I'm very interested to see where that comes out of. And and I think we'll have a very wide spectrum of impacts. So I agree. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, a number of PhD and doctoral students will take this on as a course of study along with obviously universities and such. Because I think that, like you said, um, it, it may not be growing up in Syria, but if you've never had to deal with food insecurity before and, and you have for the last year and a half, that's going to be the trauma of your life. And it, I've said it for years and years as I was dealing with people coming back from deployment and uh, reintegrating that it doesn't matter where you've been because I've had people come back from deployment and say, Oh, well, I was only on a humanitarian down in um, uh, Guatemala, or I was only at the Morgan Dover. I wasn't really overseas. It doesn't matter. Were you away from your family? Yes or no? Yes. Were you exposed to things that could be traumatic? Well, in the morgue, your services troop tagging body parts that, you know, your degree might be in an accounting. You weren't trained for that. You know, you weren't expecting to do that around a humanitarian. You could be exposed to all sorts of tropical diseases um, or even lifestyles that can be traumatic to look at or think at because, um, you know, of where it is or the drug cartels or whatever. So I'm like, you cannot minimize your own, your own experience and you can't compare it with somebody else's. So I think that's also what's going to be really important as we're helping people, as medical professionals, helping people transition to like a pre-COVID type of life is validating, so important, validating someone's experience, ensuring that they're validating their own experience and then using tools to go forward. Um, I was giving an, my extremism talk to security forces yesterday. And one of the uh, guys at the end asked, he's like, okay, so how do we get from being polarized like this back to being in the center? And one of the things I, I said, and this is true for brain health as well, is we, we as individuals, first off, need to get real with ourselves and where we are with things and understanding our experience. But most importantly is knowing that just because someone across from you disagrees with you, has their own opinion about things, it doesn't make that opinion invalid. And as long as you're not with that blasphemy, no. Yeah. (laughs) It's not, it's not invalid. I mean, it might not be true, but what I think might not be true either. You know, we might both not have truth, but neither one of us are invalid. And we can either choose to argue about it or not, you know, or choose to agree to disagree or we might agree or whatever. But all of that is a long way to say that validity in the experience is going to be key to healing out of this. So that non-judgmental piece in mindfulness is going to be that key. So for those who do choose or um, are open enough to choosing a different way to look at brain healing, mindfulness is so key because of that non-judgmental piece. Um, it, it's giving yourself space to be valid regardless. And I think if we extend that grace to others, that will help us writ large be able to heal together. I love that. I love that. I'm a huge believer in mindfulness I, in a lot of different ways. I mean, I think that 
um, whether it's mindful eating or mindful working out, it doesn't have to be in the lotus position, listening to Tibetan bowls, you know, like, right. although that's very right. soothing. I love this fun of a Tibetan bowl. <laughs> but you mentioned the validity piece. And I want to go back to something you said earlier. You mentioned that people are having symptomatology, but not everyone necessarily would garner a diagnosis of major depressive disorder or anxiety disorder. So what advice would you have to someone like, to me, it doesn't really matter if you get a diagnosis, if you're having the feelings, you should get treated. What, what advice do you have for people going through that stuff? Um, so I have a number of friends who are dealing with this. I mean, we've all, I also have some troops that have obviously had issues. Heck at the beginning of this, I was having a heck of a lot of issues. Um, so when people are open to it, I always recommend, um, the, the getting centered, the, you know, the finding, finding that one coping mechanism that, you know, you're going to stick to, uh, whether it be exercise or, I mean, binge on Netflix. I don't, it doesn't matter to me, Hulu, Disney, all of them. I don't endorse any of them or all of them. <laughs> I endorse them all. It's fine. Um, you know, pick that one thing that brings you joy and, Focus on that. If you only have one thing, brain space for one thing, you know, focus on that one thing that brings you joy. If you have brain space for other things, try to find some of those other things, reach out and make connections. Even for those of us who, intro who are introverts, who the pandemic was a blessing in disguise, um, <laughs> we still need people. We absolutely still need to make connections and understanding that we're not alone for a long time you know, and this is especially true, sitting isolated, you're in your bubble, you feel like you're the only one experiencing this, even though you know that other people are out there experiencing it until you text that one friend, or do a zoom call with somebody and, and see them and hear about it, you're like, Oh, yes, I'm not the only one. Other people understand. Um, I, I, I have a feeling of relation and that can help you feel better. So, you know, making those connections, a big one that a lot of people have trouble with is asking for help. I've probably talked about that one from the beginning more than anything else. And especially in the military with, oh my God, we're teleworking. Everyone has to know what I'm doing at all times. We have to be on 24 seven, you know, that whole feeling of guilt that we're home, but we have our kids and we're dealing with everything is just letting the troops know your family comes first. Stop worrying about everything else. No one's looking at your time card. No, we're not doing that right now. Right now we are in hunker down mode. And, and I think when you give people the space to relax about, you know, work or, or other things, or it could even be on the other side, if you give someone the space to relax about an area of their life that might be causing stress, that can help out a lot. So for some people it was their kids schooling. Um, what our school district did last year is they said, all right, grades stop in March. There are no grades going forward. So if you get schoolwork done, great. If you don't, great. We don't care. Don't stress about school. That was a huge weight, even though I wanted my kids to still learn because I knew they would stagnate. I didn't have to worry about the grading of things or if they finish something, it's like go in the corner, do as much schoolwork as you can to not bother me for about 20 minutes so I can get work done and then we'll be fine. I don't know that that happened all over the country. 
So there's going to be, an, there's definitely going to be an element as we continue to come out of this, that different areas of the country will have experienced the trauma of COVID much differently. Um, the, the big cities where lockdowns are still happening uh, versus the countryside where, where we're in or different states where maybe the rates were never as high. So they didn't have to do some of the big lockdowns and, and things like that. Um, it, I, I wish I could say that there was one thing for everyone, but honestly, it's very tailored. A lot of the advice I give is similar, you know, make sure you're eating well and sleeping, make sure you're not drinking too much, make sure you're talking to people. But beyond that, it's all right, where's your particular issue? And then, you know, it's, it's bespoke, it, it, you know, recommendations based on that. No, that makes a lot of sense. As we've opened up though, you know, those of us that have been in places that locked down or as medical professionals, we took it really seriously. So even though the people around us weren't locked yeah. down, we were. <laughs> yeah. uh, as things open up, I find that I personally am very uncomfortable with people in my space. I'm still very uncomfortable. Uh, masked is a little better, but you know, now that people don't have to wear masks, they'll come sit up right up next to you or get in your mm. space, even though distancing is still a thing, you know, distancing that mm-hmm. hasn't gone away. We're still supposed right. to be. So I feel like even when it's all open, I, I don't know when I'm going to be comfortable being all open again. And so do you have any thoughts for people that feel like it should be back to normal, but we don't feel back to normal. Sure. And we've had these conversations at our workplace as well, because uh, even though the state is more generally open, certain businesses still may choose to have require masks or not. And you can go there or not up to you. But um, my policy for a very long time is if you're sick, stay home. Now, normally people never took that seriously until COVID. And now when I say it, if you're sick, stay home. I don't care if you have the vaccine, if you're sick, stay home. People are actually doing it. So I've seen a rise in people utilizing their sick time, which I'm very happy about. Or, you know, if they're, if you're active, it's just, you get the pass, stay home. Don't bring in your, in your germs. I'm hoping also that the wearing of the mask, if you are sick, like, you know, I've got an allergy cold. Yeah, we're still wearing masks, but even if we weren't, I would have a mask on going out in public now because I'm sneezing. And even though I'm not, I don't have anything transmittable, it's still really gross and droplets <laughs> everywhere. And it's just, ugh. Um, I, I hope that piece gets normalized more similar to many Asian countries that wear a mask a lot of times. Sure. So I would like to see, I would like to see that. Um, I, I think as long as we are not making people feel wrong about whatever feels like protection for them, that will be key. And that's still a message I'm talking about. If people want to double mask, double mask. If you want to sit in my office and we are six feet away and we both want to take the masks off because we're six feet away, I'm cool with that. But if you want to keep your mask on, I'm cool with that too. Or if I'm sniffling in season, you know what, excuse me, I'm going to keep my mask on. You know, it has nothing to do necessarily with you, but I'm trying to protect you. So I think if we normalize dialogue of just about basic sanitation and <laughs> our own health, I, I think 
we will take it out of the realm of the polarizing COVID conversation and normalize it to, hey, if you sneeze, wash your hands. If you use the bathroom, wash your hand. Like, just wash your hands all the time. And, <laughs> you know, if you're sick and sneezing and gross, stay home or wear a mask. And, like, that's it. You know, it doesn't have to be a long political conversation. It's just basic hygiene. I could not agree more. And when this first started, um, I took a lot, you know, for the last two years, I've been the only medic in my work center. And so I've kind of been the symbol of, of the medical community. Uh, and I took a lot of crap for a while there about, you know, why, why weren't we prepared for this? Like, we've been telling people to wear a mask when they're sick as yep. long as I've been in medicine, you know, almost yep. 20 years. If you walk into a clinic or a medical group, there's a thing of masks that says cover your cough, cover your cold. Like there's, that's been forever. Washing hands, that's not new. <laughs> and I saw a thing yesterday that made me so happy. It was like, wash your, it was a sign on the bathroom. It was like, wash your hands. Like you just finished cutting jalapenos and you need to take out your contacts. Oh, there you go. What a, what a great yeah. way to describe. So I think that there's a lot of things I would love to see that hand washing, that cleaning the, the machines at the gym where you've, sweated mm -hmm. it up, you know, all of those things that have come out of COVID, I would love to see that we've normalized. And, and I think the, the piece that you said that's so important, we, we haven't touched on it today, but the whole diversity and inclusion uh, discussion and equity and, and making life better for everyone so that we can all kind of pursue happiness in a positive way, mm -hmm. all comes down to, it's just respect. All that's of it. it is just respect. If yeah. you respect people and let them do their thing, then that's, and, and that's just what you spoke to. If we respect, that's what's comfortable for you. I'm not going to get in your space. Like if you, if you step away because I've gotten too close to you, that's not an insult to me. That is what is comfortable for you. And I think there's so much around that, that, you know, we, we take on ourselves, like we, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and no one else, you know, fundamental attribution mm -hmm. bias. And I, I would love to see this help that conversation. Yeah, I agree. And I'm really thankful that um, similar to you, I've been the only medic in in the different shops that I've been in throughout this COVID uh, situation. And I was asked the same questions. And I said, look, 10 years ago, I worked on the H1N1 pandemic plan for Air Force Base Command. And our plan involved teleworking and who could telework and how would we be able to make teleworking happen? And how would it work for people who require uh, classified information access? And what would be the rotation policy? Like, no kidding. Those plans were out there 10 years ago. I literally remember writing them. And then they disappeared. So it's not that we weren't prepared. It's that no one really took it seriously enough because medics were never, until now, we really haven't been taken serious as something that can take us down. I've been shouting from the rooftops. Doesn't matter whether you have F-16s that fly if all the maintainers are sick or dead. You can't pull G's with a toothache, man. Come on. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I would hope selfishly that something that comes out of this is a little more respect for the medical community. Um, I mean, we can still teach each other because, you know, medics be medics, but <laughs> just for the fact that when we tell you we want your IMR done, we freaking mean it. And we mean it because this is how we know you're really well. And we tell you, when we tell you we need you to do these types of things to keep yourself healthy, 
it's for a reason. It's not just because they're arbitrary rules that we make up. Come on. So if that happens, oh, be still my heart. That would be great. Um, but just the general respect for others. I know in our facility, um, and you might, you may or may not hear this if you work for people that work in a skiff, uh, the thing called skiffalus, you know, or um, it, it's because you're in an enclosed space and the doors are closed and there's no windows. So every year, you know, skiffalus goes about or, um, you know, all, all the sicknesses with people touching the same computers and stuff. And so we bought this bio, it looks like a gigantic um, bug zapper, but you put it in, in the room and it kills all germs and, and bacteria and stuff like that. And my guys think this is great. They love using this thing. And I'm so happy that they love zapping all the germs. And we haven't had, knock on wood, like we haven't had any COVID, which is great, but we also haven't had anything else because people are being really careful. I'm like, look, it's not rocket science. We've been talking about this forever. Wash your hands. Don't come to work sick. Let's clean our spaces, zap all the germs, and we could have sickness-free winters for forever. It'll be great. <laughs> that's that's awesome. So Kelly, as we wrap up, like what what final comments do you have when you look at COVID and you look at your command and you look at all that we've been through? Um, what are you sitting with right now? I think what I've been sitting with largely through this one is gratitude that I was active in the military during this time. One for job security for sure, but also because as a, a general community, it was taken seriously from a readiness perspective. So things were being done to help keep us safe and are still being done to keep military individuals safe. That's why a lot of places aren't back at work versus some in the civilian community where it definitely became a polarizing thing. The military was like, nope, readiness. We're just going to take care of people. So that was nice. That was one of those things like, I don't have to worry about fighting this so I can focus on these things. So I'm, I have an ex extensive amount of gratitude for my place in life when this all happened. Um, having PCS in the middle of it, not, not awesome, but um, I'm also very hopeful because even though there's been a lot of ick with the whole COVID thing, there's been a lot of light and I would like to see more focus on the light as we also come out of this and some of the stories of hope and joy and people helping each other and and just being human for each other. Um, that's really what's spoken to me, I would say, over the last two or three months. That's awesome. Gratitude and hope. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective. And thanks so much for meeting with me today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and to hear yeah. your perspective. our discussion of recovering from the pandemic with Lieutenant Colonel Kelly Imey. She is amazing and I hope you enjoyed that and learned something because I know that I definitely did. It's going to take all of us a little bit of practice to figure out what normal is anymore and I know a lot of people think that they can go back but 
I think the rest of us feel like there's no going back. We have to find a new positive way to maneuver and we have to accept that some things just are never gonna be the same and that's okay. So if you need some time to think about it, if you need to find some ways to recover, to recharge, or just to find your new normal, do that because you are totally worth it. I'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining Level the Pursuit. While we can't choose where we start, we can choose our dreams and how we pursue them. Remember, success is a team sport and there's room for all of us to achieve our goals. So be a good leader, be a good follower, and do something great.